is a special bonus episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the Bible study at the virtual church classroom in Jasper, Indiana at Shiloh United Methodist Church. I'm Pastor Dan, and it is my pleasure to share with you a story that I wrote, oh, about 30 years ago. It was uh, right around the time of uh, Jimmy Stewart's passing. And it was at a time in my life when I felt a lot like George did at, uh, at certain points in his story. So it really resonated with me in a special way. And uh, so I've put us by the fireplace and you can hear the fire crackling there in the background. And uh, I think if you'll just sort of relax for a few minutes and let me share my story with you. I hope you're blessed by it. What George Said, a short story by Dan Sinkhorn. December skies have a way of sharing the brilliance of a summer day with the dreadful gloom of a stormy spring afternoon. Large, dirty white pillows fill the air just above the horizon. Plumes of gray feathers burst from their bellies. Brilliant cookie-cutter images open and close in the sky, casting gilded beams on distant fields and hills. Bitter twisted winds race through the naked trees, casting white snakes of snow out of the high grass and across the roadway. Lee looked down the road to the distant hills. He aimed his Oldsmobile to the right and proceeded south. He was glad to see the expressway fall away from his rearview mirror. Lee hated the expressway. He would take two-lane roads any time it was possible. He made sure it was often possible. While his car hurried along the unfamiliar New York countryside, his mind hurried along an all-too-familiar route. Lee knew these thoughts well. He had spent most of his life doing battle with them. It always began with guilt. Right now, he was feeling guilty about taking the back road. By selfishly taking his precious two-lane, he could never make the trip home in one day. He truly missed his wife and three children. He truly wanted to rush home to them. Lee told the instructor at the seminar that it would be possible to go the entire 735 miles nonstop, but his mind clouded and he wanted refuge. As always, his thoughts were unrelenting. The road didn't take him away from the pain. He still felt inadequate as a salesman, as a husband, as a father, as a Christian, as a person. Lee thought about all of the bad choices that he had made over the years, all of the stupid impulsive things that he had done. He thought of every unkind word ever spoken to him. He knew them all. Somehow Lee got the soft, absorbent inner lining of his soul on the outside and the firm, resistant shell on the inside. Billions of large, suicidal snowflakes were plunging towards the windshield of the Oldsmobile, only to take gut-wrenching vaults over the roof. Lee came out of his trance and assessed his situation. The road ahead and behind faded into the swirling flurry that looked like a television set stuck between channels. Oh, great, Lee exclaimed. This is just great. Thanks, God. Lee often prayed about his confusion. He 
even read the entire Bible one year. He prayed about everything. He really believed that God would magically transform him into the person he was meant to be. He liked to fantasize about meeting an angel or hearing the voice of God, but nothing like that ever happened to him. The snowstorm showed no sign of letting up. The road was already covered. Lee realized he would have to find a town or at least a service station. The windshield wipers barely worked now. He turned the heater to high, hoping it would melt some of the ice. He looked at the road map, and it showed a town called Burton ahead, somewhere. He would have to try for it. As Lee strained to see the road ahead, he caught sight of a green sign on the right, and when he drew closer, he could see a B and the number 4. The rest was covered with snow. He slowed the car down to a crawl while he looked for the adjoining road, and then he saw a white pathway wide enough for a car. He eased onto it, and the road sloped and curved into a valley. Snow still fell furiously. The grass was no longer tall enough to poke through the creamy blanket. Lee was driving much slower now, which made it possible to see more of the scenery. To the left, a creek darted back and forth between the road and the naked stones of the hillside. A frozen waterfall cascaded down slopes, making what must have been a lovely pond in the summer. Lee pressed on. Driving slower made the storm seem less furious. Now large flakes fell lazily from the gray abyss, and the valley widened, yielding fields of snow dotted with tree trunks and fence rows. Beyond the Irish linen pastures, the road bore right and along a narrow gorge. Leah looked down at the dark river and poured through that poured through the country. He was so fascinated with the view that he nearly drove through a bright yellow sign with a narrow, an arrow pointing left, and he made the turn and found himself facing a narrow bridge guarded by a traffic light. The light turned green as Lee approached, so he proceeded across. The old bridge seemed familiar. Lee studied its spans, trying to figure out why. On the opposite side, he saw a small building at the road's edge. Lee thought there must have, been a toll, must have been a toll bridge at one time, or maybe that a guard controlled the flow of traffic before there was a light. After leaving the bridge, Lee saw lovely old homes lining either side of the street, grand old trees bowed over the avenue, and many of the houses were tastefully decorated with Christmas lights and garland and red ribbon, and the scene became more quaint as it broadened into a town with a wide island dividing the two lanes and at the beginning of the island stood a sign which read you are now in bedford falls lee pulled this car pulled his car next to the parking meter wrapped in a bag with the red and green letters which read free parking merry christmas and after parking he walked through ankle-high snow beneath street lamps decorated with candy canes snowmen, elves, and Santa Claus. Looking down the sparsely populated sidewalk, he could see a man struggling to clear away snow from the entrance to a store, and Lee stopped to gawk at the Bedford Falls National Bank, building just across the street on the corner. 
It looked so familiar that it took Lee by surprise. The whole town was familiar to him. Lee knew he hadn't been here before, yet he almost knew where he was going. He turned down the side street on a whim, expecting to see another familiar landmark, and he was not disappointed. Down the lane was the entrance to a tree-covered neighborhood of neat little homes. A brick wall on the left side of the street welcomed guests to Bailey Park. Bailey Park, Lee asked himself. Bailey Park, he said again. No, that's nuts. That was just a movie. Maybe they used this town... Well, anyway, I hope I don't run into Old Man Potter. Lee finally chuckled to himself. Back on Main Street, Lee passed the movie theater, the cafeteria, and the five and dime. He looked at the bronze sign screwed to the wall of a limestone building. It was next to stairs, which led to the second floor, and the sign read Bailey Building and Loan, founded 1900 by Peter D. Bailey. This is really nuts, Lee thought. He fell back against the wall. He leaned there, looking out across the island in the middle of the street. The penetrating memories of failure and disillusionment flooded his brain again, and Lee often doubted his sanity. I'm just glad I'm not dangerous, he could tell his wife. Now he was completely lost in a fantasy. He hadn't actually gone this far before, but he always figured that if he ever did, he would be near death. I'm probably buried in my car under ten feet of snow, suffocating, Lee muttered to himself. The guilt was unbearable. His, foolish his foolishness would orphan his children, and he was about to totally abandon his loving wife, Christine. Oh, God, Lee cried, have mercy. What's that someone said? Lee stood up straight, huh? An elderly man stood next to him, leaning on a snow shovel. The man turned his right ear towards Lee and asked again, What's that you said? I'm sorry, I didn't see you standing there, Lee said. I guess I got carried away, the older gentleman whispered. And Lee looked down the sidewalk and it was thoroughly clean for half a block. I'm kind of embarrassed, Lee whispered back. For what? You know worse than an old man who shovels the block while the snow is still falling. The man chuckled. I'm going to get a cup of coffee. Come on in, he said. The stranger guided Lee to the store where all the shoveling started. His invitation was irresistible. The man's gentle wave and compassionate expression compelled Lee to follow. Do you always go so uh, go sightseeing during blizzards, son? asked the old fellow. I don't know. I guess I've never been on a movie set before, answered Lee. Oh, what's that? asked the man as he turned his head to the side to listen. No, I don't usually, Lee said. Lee was fascinated by the old gentleman. The man looked to be in his middle 70s, and other than his apparent hearing difficulty, he was a picture of geriatric health. He stood erect with his chest thrust out slightly. He walked smoothly, never dragging his feet. He neatly combed, his neatly combed white hair glistened with melted snowflakes. And the large ears lay close against his head, well beyond the crescent-shaped wrinkles around his mouth. Warm blue eyes looked out over a gently sloping nose. The older man held open the door for Lee as they passed through. Lee was struck by the smell of chocolate. And while removing his coat, Lee examined the surroundings, looking for the source of the sweet smell. 
It was a glass display case filled with trays of candy. His companion took their coats and hung them on a wooden hat tree that stood in the corner junction of the candy counter and an old-fashioned soda fountain. Used to work here when I was a boy, the man began to say. Mr. Gower's drugstore, Lee said flatly. That's right, how'd you know that? I've never heard anybody other the age of 50 call it that, said the man. It's your name. You're George Bailey, aren't you? And then, after asking sheepishly, the man said, Yeah, it is. What's yours? I don't believe this, Lee stammered. I need everything. I, I see everything. I smell everything. I, I feel everything. Taste the coffee, George said. That coffee is my own special blend, George said. I've got the only grinder in town, so if folks don't want that canned stuff, they come to me. Why am I here? Lee asked. Well, because I invited you in, that's why, George exclaimed. No, that's not what I mean. I'm sorry, son. I, I suppose I don't hear you very well. I've had a deafness in this ear since I was a kid, George said, pointing to his left ear. I know, Lee answered. George poured some candy-coated chocolates on the counter and began eating them while he spoke. Have some, he said, tapping the glass counter. I've been running this place for years, ever since old Mr. Gower died. Why did you quit the building alone, Lee asked. George said, I didn't quit, I retired. I'm 93 years old, Lee. Lee was astonished. He looked at George in disbelief. I only wish my wife could have made it this far, too, George continued. My boys were getting us so good at, at managing the business that I figured I'd better get out of the way and let them do it. Mary and I were going to tour the country in a camper, see the things we always wanted to see, but she got sick and, well, George's voice cracked. She was a wonderful woman. I just couldn't leave Bedford Falls without her. I'm sorry, Lee said softly. Mr. Gower died that same year. He left me this place just in the nick of time. I really enjoyed running it. It keeps me busy. I still ran, he still ran it when he was in his 90s, too. I guess I know why. What about Mr. Potter and Uncle Billy, Lee asked. What do you want to know about Potter for? Just curious. Well, they're both dead now, of course. Uncle Billy died in 1962. They put all of his pets in special cage in the city park and named it after him, George said. And after old man Potter died, the state spent five years probating his assets. Most of the properties he owned were so run down they had to be condemned and at least, or at least completely remodeled. I convinced Potter's lawyer to use some of the remaining capital to restore the buildings and, uh, and, uh, make some uh, finance some new owners some of old potter <laughs> seems old potter never left a will i guess he figured he'd live forever over the years i sometimes thought he could too anyway he didn't have a living soul who could inherit his estate the whole affair was left up to lawyers and judges he concluded how about harry and your mom you sure have done your homework. Did, did you come to town to write a book, George chuckled. Mom died a long time ago, and Harry's upstate with his wife, a bunch of kids and a bunch of grandkids and some great-grandkids. 
Lee moved to a stool by the soda fountain. He sipped coffee as he went. On the wall behind the fountain was a picture frame containing a front page of the newspaper, and there was a picture of George and Mary and the kids, and the headline ran, Bailey gets miracle on Christmas Eve. Lee suddenly remembered how he loved the story of George Bailey and his life-changing experience. He remembered the bridge at the end of town because it was the one George was going to leap from at the end of his, to end his life. Lee often fantasized about being George. That shack by the bridge was the place where George met an angel. And even if this whole thing was a wicked dream, Lee had to ask George more about his life. Lee wanted the pain to end. He, he would risk believing in this place if it would help him. What was it like, George? What's that? George replied. Lee pointed at the picture. Meeting an angel. Most folk don't believe that part. They figure that money was the miracle. Well, I guess it was, but I almost lost my whole life that night. You were going to kill yourself. It started that way, but Clarence, that's the angel, I guess you know that too, stopped me and showed me what life would have been like if I'd never been born. I think God would have left it that way if I hadn't begged him to put me back. Well, God listened to you anyway, Lee grumbled. Son, you sound sort of bitter. You want to talk about it? George asked compassionately. I've just spent the last ten years of my life feeling like you did that night on the bridge. Nothing ever goes the way I want it to. I always feel defeated. I just want to be happy. I just want to feel like I'm doing the right thing. I feel like such a failure, moaned Lee. I wish something could turn me around like it did for you. George poured Lee another cup of coffee. Lee looked up and kindly man would blushed with embarrassment. George stood there grinning. He was not shaming he was not a shaming person. He he looked as so gentle, standing there in his grey tweed suit, his narrow tie and his freshly donned white apron. How could this man ever have been as angry and confused as me, he thought. As if in response to Lee's thought, George said, I'm 93. I felt George shortchanged when I was young, too. Yeah, but I'm sick or something. I mean, somewhere along the line, I got hurt, and it still hurts, Lee said. Walk on it, George roared. What's that? You're starting to sound like me. I said, walk on it. You know, you twist your ankle, you get up right away, and you walk on it. Otherwise, it gets stiff and it hurts and hurts for a long, long time. Lee asked, what was it like to have your whole life change overnight, finally having peace of mind, finally being happy? George started laughing. I thought you knew everything about me, the way you keep talking about my personal life, but you sure got that part wrong. George began again. I was higher than a kite for a few days. Nothing bothered me. I figured if God sent an angel after me, he would take everything or make everything else work out too. Well, we never did find that money that was lost, and I always knew Potter had something to do with it. Uncle Billy drove us all crazy looking for it. He never stopped apologizing. Even to the day he died, he de I deposited the money that was collected at the bank to offset the discrepancy, and Potter tried like crazy to get the building and loan investigated. He met accusations constantly. He never could. We never could get him off the board. 
And a year after all of that, my daughter got polo. We spent every penny we had trying to get her well, and she finally ended up spending her life in braces. And over the years, we've had wars, fires, financial disasters, sickness. I've been maligned by a man who hated me just for being me. Wow, said Lee, what changed then? Me. I wanted a different life so bad that I couldn't see the richness of the one I got. I saw how God put me right where I wanted, where he wanted me to be. People's lives are different because I'm here, not because of everything I did. I keep this old drugstore going just because of that. Every day some kid pulls the lever on that old lighter I wished on when I was a kid. They strike it and they get their wish just like me. Lee stood up from his seat. He stretched his arms and looked around the light for the lighter. It sat atop the drug counter near the big store window. When Lee pulled the brass lever, a yellow flame appeared immediately. You'll get your wish, son. Just remember, peace of mind comes a little bit at a time. It might take your whole life, George said. Lee cleaned the snow from his car and got ready to continue towards home. He turned and looked down the street towards Mr. Gower's store. George was standing out front. Lee waved and George waved back. A lump formed in Lee's throat as he dropped into the driver's seat of his car. He memorized George's directions. Go back the way you came, but don't cross the bridge. Turn right on 11. Go one mile. Turn left on 20. Take it seven miles and you'll be back on the highway and Lee turned the car through an opening in the center island and he glanced over his shoulder to take a last look at George but he was already gone and Lee glanced down the street with which led to Bailey Park but failed to see the entrance he turned right at the bridge looking out the side window he watched swirling snow obscure the last glimpses of Bedford Falls and Lee found 20 where George said it would be he drove the last mile slowly, and it hurt to leave this place. The snow stopped while Lee was turning onto the highway. He noticed that the road had been plowed and salted. He also noticed that the Oldsmobile's gas gauge was indicating nearly empty. Lee searched the horizon for a gas station. He drove almost 10 miles before he came upon a convenience store with bright shining lights and two gas pumps in front. As darkness lowered over the countryside, Lee stood in an old air stood in the cold air pumping gas. And when he was finished, he went inside to pay. And the clerk took Lee's credit card and asked cheerfully, "Where'd you spend the storm?" "Bedford Falls," said Lee. "Where?" the clerk asked. "Bedford Falls, just up that way." Lee pointed over his shoulder. "You sure you don't mean Burton?" she asked politely. Yes, I'm sure. And the credit card machine beeped and the clerk gave Lee his card back and he signed the receipt and thanked the girl and walked back to his car. And while still in front of the convenience store, Lee decided to check his map. He scanned it thoroughly but could not find Bedford Falls. He tried the index. It wasn't there either. He looked for 11 and 20 and they weren't there either. And Lee cursed. Damn it, it was just a stupid daydream. I've been driving all day in a daze. And he angrily shoved the map into his briefcase and began yanking his coat from his shoulders. 
an object Lee hadn't seen before fell from a pocket. He looked at it for a long moment. It was a very old leather-bound book. The soft ivory cover was cracked in a thousand places, and the words Tom Sawyer etched in gold leaf were barely visible. Lee opened the book slowly, and inside were two inscriptions. The first was faded but easy to read. It said, George, remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings. Love, Clarence. And the second inscription was fresh and clear. It said, Lee, God's greatest gift is life. Never give up on it. Love, George.